Welcome back to Sage Spirituality, where we're reaching back, leaning in, and seeking out a deeper experience with God, with your host, Joel Marvin. Welcome to another episode of Sage Spirituality. I'm your host, Joel Marbot. It's so exciting to be with you again this week, and I pray that you have been praying over the past two weeks, that you made your commitment to festoon the Lord's Prayer, to include it into your life every day, not just once a day and not just through ritual, but allowing it to permeate your life. I believe that if you have followed those steps of the past two weeks, You've seen a change in your life. You've seen a change in your anxiety levels. Possibly you're not quite as worried or preoccupied about the future as you were before. But before we go into our episode today, I want to take a moment and thank you for subscribing, for listening, but also want to encourage you if you haven't subscribed, do so. And I also want to ask you to share and rate it. Uh, Help us get more visibility. We continue to grow. Our table continues to grow every week. Hundreds and hundreds of people from around the world are coming into fellowship with us right now, and we're continuing to reach back and lean in, and we're continuing to grow together in our walk with the Lord. And I'm so unbelievably pleased today to be able to talk about something that causes me frustration, at least I get very, very frustrated at all of the excess. I see excess all around us. I see excess cars, excess houses, excess things, clothes. A lot of times, just an overflow of too much. And it reminds me of a few quotes by the Greek philosopher Plato. He said, excess of liberty, whether it lies in state or individual, simply seems only to pass into excess of slavery. Now, I want you to think about that. He's saying when we have excess, when we're free to just have everything we want and as much as we want, we always tend to pull ourselves into slavery. He also said that excess generally causes reaction and produces a change in the opposite direction, whether it be in the seasons or in individuals or in governments. And realistically, what we can say is that some of us get so fed up with excess that now there's a big push toward becoming minimalist or living in small houses or making extreme moves in our lives to change the things that are causing us to be crazy. And, you know, I want to talk to you today about How can we as believers erase excess out of our lives? What do we do about it? Well, I think every one of us would probably say that we can lament it. We can talk about the billions of dollars spent every year for storage buildings. We can talk about all the the numbers of clothing that, that go unworn every year in our closets, or we can talk about the amount of money that's wasted just on entertainment and things that really have no importance in our life, but rather then do that. I want to do what JFK, our president back in the 1960s, he said to a nation, he said, it's better to light a candle than curse the darkness. He stole that quote from the founder of of Amnesty International, an English lawyer and businessman, Peter Benison. But today, rather than curse the darkness of excess, I want to light a candle. 
And I want to tell you that I think we'd be very, very wise to look back at the Old Testament and look at the New Testament. And I think we need to look for men and women who actually uh, were game changers. They were men and women who went against the current. They were men and women that brought change into society. They were also men and women that were extreme leaders. They were able to overcome excesses and they were able to erase excesses to a certain extent. It makes me think of Moses when he had to confront Israel's rebellion. It makes me think of Daniel when he was in exile dealing with an, a godless government and dealing with a godless society. It makes me think about the Ninevites when they heard Jonah preach the message of God to them. They were able to overcome an excess of sin makes me think about the disciples and also the believers in the book of Acts who were who were very much so modeled a, a way of erasing excess out of their life. And it also makes me think about Jesus Christ, our Lord, the second person of the Trinity. You know, they all practice the same discipline, the discipline of fasting. And today, I want to take a moment and return, if you will, to the Sermon on the Mount, and I want to remind us what Jesus said about fasting in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, 17, and 18. Jesus said to his disciples, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to be men fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward, but you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. You know, fasting, that phrase right there, fasting is a little bit of an enigmatic phrase. A lot of people don't understand it. And when we look at Jesus talking about fasting, that word fasting is an, an enigmatic word. It's a, it's a word that's a little bit difficult for us to understand. But when we look at Jesus talking about fasting, we find that secret phrase when he talked about giving and also when he talked about praying. The secret word there was when you fast. He was not making a suggestion to his followers that if we found it convenient that we should fast or that if it was uh, inside of our wheelhouse that we should fast. He was saying, when you fast, this is, this is assumed that you're going to be fasting as a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, to help us understand just a little bit more of these words, I love what St. Basil the Great said, uh, one of the church fathers. He wrote a homily on fasting. He said, fasting gives birth to prophets and strengthens the powerful. Fasting makes lawgivers wise. Fasting is a good safeguard for the soul, a steadfast companion for the body, a weapon for the valiant, and a gymnasium for athletes. Fasting repels temptation, anoints unto piety. It is the comrade of watchfulness and the artifice of chastity. In war, it fights bravely. In peace, it teaches stillness. That's an amazing observation from a man who lived just 300 years after Jesus Christ. One of the first church fathers who looked at the importance of fasting, saying it can transform our lives. Now, St. Augustine also points out, he says, fasting cleanses the soul. It raises the mind. It subjects one's flesh to the spirit, renders the heart contrite and humble, scatters the clouds of confusion, 
quenches the fire of lust and kindles the true light of chastity. Enter again into yourself. St. Augustine is telling us the way that we can actually find ourselves is by going in to fasting. I love what a modern-day writer at Christianity Today, J.B. Kachila, he said. He said, fasting isn't about us. It's totally about God. It's making room for God in our lives. It's just what John the Baptist said. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, I want to talk just briefly about what fasting is not. This is not a bells and whistles podcast. It's not a make you feel good podcast. It's a real podcast. If you're wanting to go deeper with God, and if you're wanting to grow in your spiritual walk, you will need to develop the discipline of fasting. But I do want to take a moment. I want to talk just a bit about what fasting is not. First of all, it's not a form of penance necessarily for our sins. It's not just suffering for suffering's sake. I like the way that uh, Abba John the Short, he said, if a king wants to take possession of an enemy's city, he would begin by cutting off the water and food so his enemies dying of hunger would submit to him. It is the same with the passions of the flesh. If a man goes about fasting and hungry, the enemies of his soul grow weak. We're trying to bring ourself under control. We're trying to go against the enemy of our soul, which is self. Realistically, if you guys want to remember a couple of podcasts ago, a couple of episodes back, we talked about that self, each one of us have our own kingdoms. And realistically, we have to conquer ourselves to be able to to get closer to God. The second thing that fasting is not is fasting is not an act of spiritual manipulation. It's not twisting God's arm to do something that's outside of his will. St. John Cassian, he wrote these words just a few hundred years after Jesus walked on the earth. He says, a worker takes the trouble to get hold of the instruments that he requires. He does so not simply to have them and not use them, nor is there any profit for him in merely possessing the instruments. What he wants is with her help to produce the crafted objective for which these are the efficient means. In the same way, fasting, vigil, scriptural meditation, nakedness, and total deprivation do not constitute perfection, but are the means to perfection. They are not in the end and of themselves the end point of a discipline, but an end is attained through them. Now, I want you to think about that. What he's saying is Jesus will use fasting to mold us and make us into what he wants us to be. Right now we have the instruments, right now we have the capabilities, but we're not using them. And the way to make those come forth and be used in the way they should be used is through fasting. Now, finally, what we're talking about here in fasting is not what the pop world considers IF, intermittent fasting. No, that's in and of itself is not a bad thing. But you know what? Some people believe that fasting is simply giving up food for a period of time, and they don't seek God. But I want to tell you something. If you're not seeking God, you're not on a fast, you're on a diet. And I love the way William Law pointed out 
several hundred years ago. He says, if our life is not a course of humility, self-denial, renunciation of the world, poverty of spirit, and heavenly affection, we do not live the lives of Christians. Now think about that. If we do not practice self-denial, if we don't practice fasting, we're not living the lives of Christians. Richard Baxter, the great reformer, he said this. He said, I take the love of God and self-denial to be the sum of all saving grace and religion. In short, fasting is a biblical form of self-denial, self-sacrifice, giving up something we want to gain something that we do not have and something once we've gained that we cannot lose. I love the way missionary Jim Elliott said it. He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Fasting is self-denial. It's giving up our rights. It's giving up our desires and seeking after God. Knowing in a world of absolute anarchy, fasting is the God-given form to counter the chaos and bring peace to ourselves and the world around us. But I cannot hope to conquer the world if I do not first conquer myself. G.K. Chesterton said, self-denial is the test and definition of self-government. Self-denial, giving up what you want and what you desire, is the, is the, is the indicator. It's the litmus test. It shows that you're self-governing, that you're really in control of your life. And when we become really in control of our life, that means that we're at a place in our life where we can fully give ourselves to the Trinity. There's an incredible thought about fasting. Let's get a little bit more into the nuts and bolts of what we're talking about here. I love what the shepherd of Hermes, who knows who wrote it, but it was written very, very quickly after the canon of Scripture was closed. And it's an early church document that we should respect tremendously, not on the same level as the Bible, but it's a document that has incredible weight inside early church history. And I love when they were talking about fasting, they were talking about giving up food and giving up water and giving up the things that they needed for a daily uh, sustenance. And they said, having fulfilled what is written, the fast, on that day on which thou fasteth, thou shalt taste nothing but bread and water, and from my meals which thou wouldest have eaten, which is communion, thou shalt reckon upon the amount of that day's expenditure which thou wouldest have incurred, and shalt give it to a widow or an orphan, or to one in want, and so shalt thou humble thy soul, that he that received from thy humiliation may satisfy his own soul and may pray for thee to the Lord. Now, that's a lovely thought. That's something realistically that I've never put into play when I was fasting. But here in the early church, they had the practice of fasting, which was assumed that all believers would be fasting, but they would actually calculate the amount that they were going to spend on food and they would take that money and they would give it to the poor. They would give it to a widow. They would give it to the orphans. And they would do it knowing that their sacrifice would be an answer to the widow and the orphan's prayer that they had been praying for sustenance. 
That's just a lovely landscape inside of the incredible plan that God has for us. Now, I positively cannot go much further down the path without mentioning an incredible theologian who's still alive. He's still with us. His name is J.I. Packer, James Packer. And he wrote these words in a book on fasting that are absolutely spectacular. He said, in Scripture, we see several purposes for fasting. It's part of the discipline of self-control. It's a way of sharing that we depend on God alone and draw all our strength and resources from Him. It's a way of focusing totally on Him when seeking His guidance and help and of showing that you are really in earnest in your quest. How lovely is that picture that he's saying? When we fast, we're showing God that we're really serious about our pursuit of Him. Now, he goes on to clarify a little bit, and I'm going to share this with you, that fasting is much broader than what a lot of people think it is, which is just giving up food or giving up drink for a certain period of time. He says these words. He says, we tend to think of fasting as going without food, but we can fast from anything. If we love music and decide to miss a concert in order to spend time with God, that is fasting. It is helpful to think of parallel human relationship. When friends need to be together, they will cancel all other activities in order to make that possible. There's nothing magical about fasting. It's just one way of telling God that your priority at that moment is to be alone with Him, sorting out whatever is necessary, and you have canceled the meal, party, concert, or whatever else you had planned to do in order to fulfill that priority. Now, here we're looking at two two men. I don't know who wrote the the Shepherd of Hermes, but let's let's look at Jim Packer in the in the in the Shepherd of Hermes. We're looking at two different worlds. One saying when we fast, we're not only seeking after God, but we're actually answering the prayer of the poor when we take the money that we would spend on the food and we give it to those who have need, which is an amazing thought. But here we have in the modern day, a man that's saying, listen, we can fast from music. We can fast from our pastimes. We can fast from many, many things. We can fast from anything. And when we do that, what we're doing is we're showing God that he's the priority in our life. And our top need is to seek after him. I want to let you know that if you're frustrated, maybe you've never fasted and you've never sought after God on this level, I want to tell you, first of all, if you're going to undertake a traditional, all like a, a non-food fast, uh, I would encourage you, first of all, to check with your doctor and make sure that you're in shape and that there's not going to be any problems there. Uh, and, and I'm also going to encourage you to talk with your pastor about fasting. But if you're frustrated and you're not presently fasting to seek God in your current situation, maybe you can say to yourself, I can't fast because I can't go a day without food. I can't go an hour without food. Then I would encourage you to do something. If you're not fasting right now in your spiritual walk with the Lord, you're aiming too high. Aim lower. Start with small things. Don't worry about fasting for 40 days and 40 nights in the desert until you've fasted 
four hours without internet, or you fasted four days without coffee, or that you have fasted four weeks without television. There are things that we can do. Start at a low level and start building up. I'm going to give you something akin to homework now. If you're willing to take this challenge and see your life transformed, if you're really wanting to erase excess out of your life, if you're wanting to become the king of your kingdom and you're wanting to conquer yourself and be able to truly give yourself completely to the Lord, then I've got five things I want to ask you to do. First of all, I want you to make a decision that sometime over the next two weeks, you're going to take time to fast. It can be a meal, it can be a day, it can be a week, but I want you to make that decision to seek after God. I want you to realize that it's an assumption that every Christian should be fasting. Number two, I want you to find someone, a close friend or confidant that will keep you accountable. And I want you to be able to share your struggle with them and talk to them about how it's going for you and how you're accomplishing what you have set before you. Number three, I want you to fix a target. And I want you to fix a target that's very low. You know, uh, give up coffee for a day uh, or maybe uh, give up sweets for a week. Uh, Maybe you can even take one day and fast and only have liquids. Or maybe you just give up listening to uh, music on your iPod. Whatever you pray and you feel like you want to give up, to seek after God. That's a key word, to be able to seek after Him. What are things that are taking your time right now that you can give up and have extra time to seek God, to show Him that He's a priority in your life? Number four, I want you to realize just how amazing this opportunity is for you. And doing this includes you into a great cloud of witnesses, not only in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but also with Jesus Christ, our Lord, and also with an incredible fellowship of believers all around the world that are praying and fasting continually to give themselves more to our Lord and Savior. And number five, I want you to go through the next two weeks and complete a fast of one way, shape, or form, but I also want to ask you, would you be willing to make fasting a part of your life. For me personally, what we do as a family, we fast the first Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of each month. We fast with our churches, and we pray during those three days. And sometimes during a month, we will do a no-food fast where we'll fast for three days. My wife and I and will pray during our meal times instead of sitting at the table. And there are other times that we just can't do that. We've got way too much work going on. And we may fast from social media. We may fast from television or we may fast even from, uh, uh, even from sweets or from coffee. But whatever it is, we're going to give something up. But we're not just going to give it up to sacrifice it. We're going to give it up so that we can seek God more. Will you take the challenge to erase excess from your life? I hope you do. I look so forward to coming back to the table with you in just two weeks. Remember, listen, subscribe, rate, and share. And we're so excited to continue to go deeper together. God bless you.